Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Tuesday, July 11th and I'm Zaria Johnson, reporter and producer at IdeaStream Public Media and moderator for today's conversation, which is the third in City Club's four-part series here in Public Square. Last year, plans were announced for a complete re-imaging of the Cuyahoga Riverfront led by the real estate firm Bedrock and the city of Cleveland, the decade-spanning plan will redevelop 35 acres. Highlights of the plan include connecting downtown to the river through Tower City Center, adding more mixed-use properties, and creating accessible outdoor spaces. Go North and a comprehensive community engagement project is examining the potential of Cleveland's lakefront. Although it's early, Although it's in early stages, the North Coast Connector Plan aims to create a vibrant recreational hub and connect visitors and residents to the Lake Erie waterfront safely and easily. Reliable public transit, bike and pedestrian lanes, public green spaces, and basic amenities are much needed factors in creating an integrated neighborhood that is inclusive and welcoming to all. As downtown continues to grow, ensuring people feel connected to the area, whether they're watching the Browns at First Energy Stadium or taking in a broad ratio on Playhouse Square is essential. Here to discuss downtown Cleveland's connectivity with me is Keisha Chambers, Assistant Director of the Mayor's Office of Capital Projects with the City of Cleveland, Alex Harnotes, Director of Destination Development at Destination Cleveland, Deb Janik, Senior Vice President of Business Development at Bedrock, and Councilman Carrie McCormick of Ward 3 with the City of Cleveland. Thank you, yes. <laughs> Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming our panelists here in Public Square. So thank you all for being here. I'm very excited for our conversation. You know, as a reporter, I've been keeping up with some of the developments here in Cleveland and downtown Cleveland specifically. Um, but I wanted to start with sort of an explainer question, you know, in hearing these conversations about um, expanding, uh, you know, connecting downtown Cleveland, we hear a lot of these phrases like 15-minute city, um, complete streets, and shorter core. Can you, um, Keisha, maybe we can start with you, if you could explain so, like, what these phrases mean, especially when we're thinking about expanding connectivity to downtown. Sure, the overall concept of the 15-minute city is to make sure that everyone can get to their basic essentials within 15 minutes whether it's by walking, by bike, by transit, we want to make sure that everybody can kind of meet their daily needs in 15 minutes. But I think overall the concept about it, just making sure that we have a very livable city. I mean, you want to be in a place where all of your amenities are met, you know, from entertainment to your family life to your work life. Um, so the 15-minute city kind of encapsulates all of those things we want to do every day um, within our city. And is that similar for the shorter core, especially when you think about the North Coast Connector? Is there a similar motivation there as well? Absolutely. For the shorter core concept, I think it's just bringing everybody to a central location. Um, there's so many just downtown amenities already from residents to where you work, um, to where you live, from shopping to entertainment. So being able to connect from this where we are now, which is kind of what we call the core, and being able to walk over to the shore, whether it's the river or the lake, um, within a short amount of time is just an extra benefit to being downtown. It really creates that connectivity from when you're in one activity and you want to, you know, I think I want to do something else. And you can easily just walk to it. And we have a variety of means from the scooters to the bikes to ways to get there. So it absolutely kind of just brings all of that together. And what we're trying to um, get to with all of these programs is making sure people have access. And Carrie, I wanted to ask, you know, we... Uh, we've talked before about your work bringing in some of those scooters, especially to the downtown area. And when we think about connectivity relating to quality of life, you know, can you talk to us about some of those quality of life benefits that these projects might bring to the city? No doubt. And just first of all, thank you, Ideas Stream City Club, and everyone that's here today for spending your lunch with us. Shout out to the real Mayor Pete of downtown here, who's with us tonight. Celebrity sighting. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, I, you know, we've gone from this idea of multimodal public transportation to being a theory to being something that, you know, we've heard about as a good idea. To, I think there's a general understanding now in the broader community how important these elements are on multiple levels. So getting people around the city outside of a vehicle and public transportation, shared mobility devices, cycle, et cetera, is not only good for equity for folks that don't have or choose not to have a vehicle, it's not only good for connecting our neighborhoods, 
It's also good for business, too. Creating a city that is as friendly as humanly possible to navigate makes it a place where people want to do business, want to attract employees, want to live, want to visit. So it touches on a broad array of issues, and I'm thankful uh, that we have a mayor and his administration now that really get it, quite frankly, um, and that understand that this is not just something we should do or is a good idea. We must implement these changes in our city to be successful moving forward. And I wanted to ask, how common you know, are these connectivity projects? Deb, maybe you can answer this um, in your work. Are you seeing a lot of other cities sort of branching out to co better connect outside of just cars and those single-use vehicles? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, echoing my uh, fellow panelists, thank you all for being here, right? And this amazing site, which is now seven years old, um, but it's great to have this public space. And it's really the public spaces that can define how we build our cities. In our case, from shore to core to shore. When you think about other communities that all of you visit, including just here in Ohio, as I think Ohio is really, our major cities are reclaiming our waterfronts. We are blessed with two magnificent waterfronts in Cleveland. So we've got an edge. You're seeing incorporation of access to the riverfront in Columbus. You're really seeing it start to emerge now in Cincinnati and correspondingly over into Kentucky. When you think about other Midwest cities that have engaged in what Cleveland has really invested in, multiple nodes of public-private investment throughout downtown Cleveland and the neighborhoods, think about Pittsburgh. We think about um, the other Ohio cities. We think of what Milwaukee's done with its waterfront. Um, and even so much so, cities like Indianapolis, who are at the forefront of how you connect infrastructure, public space, bicycle, multimodal, right? River or not. So we've got all the knuckles and joints around our community along these waterfronts to capture that. And we're very pleased at Bedrock to uh, bring our riverfront development project to life to connect these two critical viable waterfronts for this community to live, to work, to play, and to attract uh, new visitors and Taurus, um, as I know Alex and his team are very focused on at Destination Cleveland. Yes, thank you, perfect pivot. <laughs> Alex, um, I know we talked about in the past, you know, um, your work with um, these upcoming art installation projects and your upcoming lighting downtown project. Um, even though that's not necessarily like a transit point of connection, can you talk a little bit about how that might make the downtown area more enjoyable for not only residents, but also tourists as well? Yeah, certainly. So Deb talked about Cleveland as a city with great nodes, and we hear that a lot, that there are lots of great dots in Cleveland, especially downtown, but they're a little bit disconnected and disjointed. And so one thing that we've really focused on at Destination Cleveland since we started to, to take on this destination management function is looking at the connection between those spaces. So back in 2016, before the big events of 16, we started the pedestrian wayfinding system. One of those signs is right behind me here. To tell folks unfamiliar with downtown where they could get to in a 10 minute walk. So we've, we've sort of evolved past just how to get there and what is there to trying to work together with our other public sector partners to, uh, to fill in those gaps. So art is often seen as icing on the cake, but a term that I prefer and that I learned from my, my hospitality colleagues at Destination Cleveland is surprise and delight. So if you come to town for a Browns game or you come to town from out of town at, for a show at Playhouse Square, but in between your walk to one of those and your dinner or your lunch, you come upon this beautiful piece of art that you just have to take a picture with and you have to share with your people back home. That's surprise and delight, and that helps to make a memory, and it helps to, to build, uh, build the perception of Cleveland, and it helps to, to bring about um, repeat visitation, really. So I want to kind of get into the state of downtown as it is. And, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, and I remember driving in with my grandma or my mom and kind of picking up on their stress as a kid of trying to find a building or trying to find parking. So can, I'll open this up to all of you. Can you just sort of describe, like, what about downtown Cleveland or maybe getting in and out of downtown Cleveland makes it more difficult for residents and for visitors also? I'm happy to take that. 
Happy to take that. Um, so let, let's be very honest. The city has failed over the past two decades to update its parking systems, to provide real uh, protected cycle infrastructure, to provide kind of these common sense solutions. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm old enough to remember in the previous administration us pushing uh, the parking solutions and the multimodal and all of that. But we, again, like I said earlier, finally have a partner who is in, in Mayor Bibb and his team who not only get it, but are quickly implementing these solutions. So people get frustrated about the uh, uh, coin parking system. Uh, that's this summer, within the next few weeks, the uh, um, complete modernization of our parking starts in downtown Cleveland. You know, we absolutely, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> I know the quarters are a fun historic moment, and they're like fun to deal. And you'll still be able to use quarters. So for my dad, who's got a center council full of quarters, you're good. You're good. Um, but the other things too is, you know, not only the Spirit Midway and the Loop, these multi-million-dollar infrastructure projects, but we earmarked three million dollars of American Rescue Plan Act dollars for a lower-cost, quicker solutions to multimodal transportation, and we're actively meeting with the mayor's administration on how to deploy those quickly to make it easier to get around on a scooter or a bike or otherwise. Uh, same thing with access to public transportation. So, you know, the, the, the struggles that we're all well aware of are extremely frustrating. As a lifelong Clevelander, I share that frustration. The good news is there's a sense of urgency within the city administration uh, uh, that is wants to find these and implement and deploy these solutions. And again, whether it's the updating the parking system or deploying lower cost, multimodal, safe infrastructure, that stuff is starting this summer. Very exciting. <laughs> and I think I want to piggyback on the safety part. You know, we're making sure that if you're not just outside of a car that you're safe, but if you're on your bike or if you're walking that you're safe and you're safe getting to some of these key destinations. So with the land bridge and this connectivity from core to shore, um, there are paths that will be dedicated just for pedestrians, just for bicycles. So as you are enjoying these features that we're adding to the city, um, you feel compelled to go because you know you'll be safe as you travel to them. Carrie, I'll toss it back to you. You know, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, downtown's current layout, especially when we think about the lakefront and the riverfront, sort of has, uh, it was built based on, you know, our previous historical, like, industry. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, the historical design of the city? Sure. So, I mean, there's a lot to it, including, obviously, one of the main features, the malls and otherwise. But what we've seen over the years, too, if you look at the lakefront and the riverfront, you know, through the years was primarily focused on industry. And what we're seeing now is a growing mixed-use trend. So not only is there going to be industry still, we've got a great active international port. There's industry up and down the river. But how do we really prioritize human beings um, within our waterfront? At the end of the day, you all own that public land on the lakefront, you should be able to access it, as well as closing Berkeley Lakefront Airport, but I'll put that off for another day. I'm um, just gonna put that right in there. But the point is, is that, uh, you know, we have great amenities downtown, great historic buildings, beautiful uh, architecture, and two incredible waterfronts. We have to leverage them. And, and the work that Deb and her group are doing with the city, the Lakefront Initiative, that will finally leverage the potential that we have built in. But getting folks around outside of a vehicle safely is so key to creating that connectivity. And really, downtown Cleveland is, is, is inherently a very walkable place. There are other city centers that are much more sprawled, much more spread out. So, in, you know, already we have a walkable downtown. We just have to make sure that we are prioritizing the safety of pedestrians, folks in cycles, folks, you know, uh, that utilize ADA features, uh, as well as folks using public transportation, which, again, we have not done well in the past. But I'm confident with the new leadership, not only in government, but also in civic and corporate Cleveland, that we are heavily prioritizing that, which is critical. Can I kind of add a history fact? So Moses Cleveland selected Cleveland because it was on a bluff. And that is one feature within this city that we don't take advantage of. We have beautiful vistas, but there aren't a lot of opportunities for you to just go and look out on the lake. Um, so we want to just be able to recapture some of those opportunities for everyone because it's a, a feature here that we don't celebrate enough. 
And when it comes to, you know, uh, developing these projects, like the Riverfront Project or the North Coast Connector Project, and thinking about the amenities that you want to include or features that, you know, you want to make sure help people using them, um, what's sort of the processes you guys go through behind the scenes to make sure that uh, the amenities you're thinking about or considering will actually be useful and used by the community here in Cleveland? Sure. So I'll jump in there. Um, so as Bedrock looked at our property on the on the riverfront, uh, and I think it is Keisha, or uh, you announced, sorry, um, 35 acres, right, and Tower City. Think about Cleveland, right, We're, the, the history here. We're a city of grand arcades, and Tower City is the hub of transit. Uh, it's the historic train terminal. It is the access and spine that connects us today to the riverfront. Now, the challenge is, of course, anybody who's either drove your car over here on or, you know, walked the walkway to the field house through Tower City or been to our food court. Um, you know, when you drop from 100 feet at Huron to zero at the river, it's a little hard to navigate that site. For us at Bedrock, two things, and the councilman said it right. That is public land and access on the lakefront. Ours is private 35 acres that will provide continuous public access. Our project anticipates 12 plus acres of public improvements, public park, a river walk, improved 3,000 feet of bulkhead. When you combine our investment in our bulkhead, privately owned, with Irish Town Bend, the two together represent a third of the bulkhead improvements that have to happen on the riverfront in the vision for the valley. And it has to be designed, public or privately owned, it has to have public accessibility. Destination in place, more parks, more water, more kayaking, more accessibility, more connectivity. That's the foundation that creates the place where value increases. And what does that do for the rest of downtown? More housing, mixed use housing, affordable housing, workforce housing. That drives talent, talent drives business, business drives revenue. That all works. Pieces and parts, it can't be and or, it's gotta be everything together and that's how the synergy starts to build. We're proud to be a part of it and we look very much forward to working with all our colleagues up here and quite frankly all of you as we advance this opportunity for the city of Cleveland on the riverfront that will connect to the, to the waterfront on the north coast. I think one thing really important to add on there, and I think Deb, the public access is is such a great um, is such a great point, because for a downtown audience, us who work down here and who live down here, there's a lot of an element of sort of if you know, you know in downtown navigation. You you can figure out how to get there. You know your ways. You know that you can cut through the arcade during the daytime, but not at night. You know when the Eastman Gardens is open. All those great spaces and quasi public spaces. They don't show up when you're a visitor from out of town looking down at your Google map. And so we need to do a good job both of, of wayfinding when it comes to Destination Cleveland, but all of us of building those spaces with public access um, so that they're useful all year round, all day and night, all those sorts of things. And for the connector, we know it is a draw for others that are coming to Cleveland. We want them to enjoy it as well, but the priority are the people that are here. Um, so we've been doing an extensive community engagement outreach activity. I've passed out some flyers, uh, some cards to some of you. If you didn't get one, they're on the table up here. And we have surveys that we've been conducting citywide. Um, you've probably seen some of our representatives out at local festivals, out at um, ward meetings, uh, police precinct meetings. We're really trying to get people's feedback on what they want to see at the lake. What do you want to do when you're there? Um, what activities would you like to see? Maybe what are some memories that you have when you used to go to the lake with a family member and how do you want to see those replicated again? So we're really being intentional about making sure that we capture the voice of our community while we're doing this. In our first round of engagement, we realized we didn't have an equitable voice in our um, surveys and our feedback, so we're back at it again, making sure that we get everybody's input because this is truly a community feature that we want everybody to enjoy. We want them to be able to see themselves in the activities that they do um, while they're visiting the lakefront. So please pick up a flyer so you can complete our survey. We need all the information that we can gather. And Alex, you know, um, excuse me. Cleveland has so many landmarks, you know, that are 
that would bring tourists in. And I'm wondering if um, these connectivity projects, if you're expecting them to drive our tourist economy and how those funds might benefit Cleveland and if those funds might be used for more connectivity projects in the future. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So Destination Cleveland itself has a pretty limited capacity to, to contribute to capital projects. You know, we really look to, to the city and the county and folks like that uh, to do that. What we try to do, though, is, is to insert ourselves in those conversations and in those planning exercises as the voice of the visitor. So just as a case study, think about someone, I'll use the Rock Hall because they're our worldwide attractor, right? So you've flown from across the country or across the world to come to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You're staying in the Hilton or the Westin or the Marriott, pick your downtown hotel. And you wake up in the morning, you're so excited to go see the Rock Hall and you can see it from your window. But how do you get there? You've got to walk down to third or you've got to walk down to ninth. You've got to go across a bridge next to traffic and cross a freeway interchange. Not ideal. The Rock Hall puts on a great experience, but what memory are we leaving people coming and going from there? And so when we think about something like the land bridge, which will separate pedestrians from traffic, which will give those great vistas out onto the lake, and which will connect downtown to the, to the lakefront uh, attractions, I mean, we're all in on that, and we're, we're happy to help be the voice of the visitor in that conversation. You know, that's a big, big one, but those, those little pieces and parts where we can say, let's help make this better for visitors, they happen every day. And we're still kind of living in that quote-unquote post-COVID era where downtown isn't as busy and bustling as it once was due to, you know, that sort of remote-slash-hybrid kind of work environment. So I'm wondering how you're factoring that into these development projects and if you're maybe expecting... Um, these connectivity projects to maybe bring up that foot traffic and maybe multimodal traffic back in the downtown area? We, we definitely debate this one a lot as we are trying to design um, the boulevard and shoreway as it is now. Um, you know, do we use pre-COVID, you know, traffic counts? Do we use post-COVID traffic counts? What is this city going to look like, you know, in the next 10, 20 years? And how are people moving into or even out of the downtown space. Um, I think you, you said foot traffic, and I, I think it's interesting that you said that because yes, we are trying to more so incorporate a multimodal approach to how we do design moving forward, especially with this boulevard. Um, considering that more people may come in via bike, more people may come in using RTA because there may be a different in connections. You know, we're talking about the Scenic Valley Railroad coming up, you know, into Bedrock. Like, how does all this connect and change how people move around um, the city and it move into downtown? So, you know, we're, we're still kind of figuring that out in design, but I think what we've kind of come to is that we probably won't be exactly the way we were pre-COVID. Things are now different. More people live downtown now. It's more residential than it is an office space. Um, so we just have to factor those things in. But I, I do think it's different now. We probably won't go back to our pre-COVID vehicular numbers. Um, but I think our numbers will increase. First of all, thank you, God, for that breeze. That's quite <laughs> lovely. Uh, so um, it, it is no surprise that Cleveland is a part of the national trend of downtowns having changed and pivot after the pandemic. I'm proud of the work that Downtown Cleveland Alliance has done to really, as, as well as the, the city and others, to be a part of that pivot. I think the answer to the question is, and we're seeing this, for example, in office buildings that really heavily amenitize, they are much higher occupancy rates than those that don't. So we have to answer the question now more than ever, what is the value proposition of downtowns, not only in Cleveland, but across America? So I think things like, you know, really high quality public, safe, uh, uh, public spaces, uh, we're working with Downtown Cleveland Alliance and the city on enhanced public safety services for the downtown neighborhood, connectivity, uh, all of these things are gonna add on to the already value add of a downtown. downtown downtowns are places of connectivity, they're places of gathering, they're places of idea exchange. They are walkable. They are diverse. They are dense. They are full of amenities. They inherently are great places to be. But now more than ever, we have to answer the questions to companies that are opening, growing, expanding. Why should you be here? It is not the same 
drive in, drive out of the last 50 plus years, we now have to really aggressively answer that question. Downtown Cleveland Alliance is a great partner in that. Greater Cleveland Partnership, our downtown Cleveland residents have been heavily engaged in that. But again, I think the key is highest quality of life, highest public spaces, best amenities you can find uh, that will beat out any other job hub or location to live or visit in the region. And I'll open this one up to all of you. I'm wondering if you've come across any sort of like misconceptions in this redevelopment work or any sort of feedback from like Carrie's dad, for example, who's used to those quarter meters and might not want to see any sort of any of these new uh, developmental changes. And I'm wondering what you might say to someone who's comfortable with the way Cleveland looks now and might be hesitant to accept some of these connectivity projects. I, I, I'm a believer that if you don't change, you die fundamentally, and, and that doesn't mean that you don't work with folks and explain things. And I always say that even when I disagree with a resident on an issue, if you take the time to call them and say, hey, look, or email them and say, this is where I stand, folks might not agree with you, but um, I, I would point to other cities. Uh, Cleveland is not the only city in America, and the other cities have done other things better, some worse. So looking at what other cities have done and succeeded, I think is a good case point to say wh whether it's multimodal or connectivity, these things work. Uh, and the other thing I would say too is that, and I don't blame them, Clevelanders are like, all right, show me, right? You're updating the parking system? Really? Show me. So I think as those things are rolled out, people will get used to them, they'll like them, they'll, you know, they'll become accustomed to them. So I think a part of it is the city and partners have to show the progress, not just talk about it and then folks will get accustomed to it. So uh, I'll add on to that. Um, you know, I think for, for us as we've talked to the community, as we've talked to the public, as we've talked to our partners, um, accessibility remains the key. And, and you're right, it's, I, I'm so comfortable in how I drive to, to, as a commuter, to park my car every day. Um, the, the trick is leverage what's working. Leverage that, and as the councilman said, respect the input. Every comment is important because every comment will shape how we make progress and how we go forward. And, and we all know if you don't learn from the mistakes of the past, we're all doomed to repeat them. So that feedback should never be deemed to be critical or contradictory. It is feedback, and all of that has to be digested, right? But when you think about the accessibility, when you think about the new downtown post-COVID. You know, it's not that long ago, I'm really super old and have been doing this longer than probably I should be, but I'll, I'm looking for Michael Deemer, who's also super old. Um, but in, in 20, there he is. See, I knew I'd get his attention. I love you, Mike, I love you. Um, but remember, in 2012, not that long ago, downtown Cleveland had more than seven million square feet of empty office space. That's five terminal towers. Today, we really have one left, and, and the Millennial Group and Frank Sinito and his team are driving the change at what is now the Centennial Building. We have faced this before. This is a city that knows how to adaptive reuse buildings. We need to grow our residential. The office is now as much your den as it is going into Tower City, where I work every day. We have a million square feet going up right here with a headquarters for Sherwin committed to keep 4,000 people working downtown. More and more of the hybrid workers coming back. So we have to be conscious about how do we adaptively reuse office space that's antiquated, that's not attracting maybe the 21st, 22nd century company. How do we think about new investment? But fundamentally, as all those different assets churn together, because again, it's not and or, it's all, coupled with public space, coupled with improved mobility, coupled with public transportation and other means, coupled with the amenities that Keisha referenced, that's what's gonna to continue to drive what is the highest growing neighborhood right now in the city of Cleveland. So it all has to churn, but you know the confidence in this community of how to adapt to change, adapt to opportunity, repurpose facilities in the right way that confidence just doesn't wane for me, for the work we're doing at Bedrock, and when I look at the public partners and private entities that are coordinating this effort for the city, confidence level should be at an all-time high. All right, well, we're gonna move into the Q&A portion today. 
For our live stream audience or those just joining, I'm Zaria Johnson, reporter and producer at IdeaStream Public Media and moderator for this afternoon's conversation about downtown Cleveland connectivity. We are joined on stage by Keisha Chambers with the Mayor's Office of Capital Projects, Alex Harnotes with Destination Cleveland, Deb Janik with Bedrock, and Ward 3 Councilman Carrie McCormick. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org. If you'd like to tweet a question for a panelist, please tweet it at the City Club. You can also text it to 330-541-5794, and City Club staff will try to work it into the program. May we have the first question, please? Thanks for this program. Um, this question is addressed to Bedrock. I appreciate what you're going you get to get a little closer to the mic. We can't I appreciate you. what you're going to do with improving public access to the river. But I'm curious what your plans are for making the bulkhead fish friendly. Uh, the river is improving quite a bit under the area of concern program. And we'd like to see continued progress in that regard and replacing the bulkheads with more appropriate bulkhead is a very strong uh, action you can take to improve that. Thank you, thank you for the question. Um, did everybody hear that? Okay, great. Um, it, it's critical, right? We have spent so much time um, reinvigorating the, the prowess of our river, not just for the multi-billions of dollars of industrial and economic um, opportunity and, and development it brings to, to the community, but also for the purpose of freshwater, bringing um, estuaries back and, and really starting to see that river life grow and grow and grow. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity as you head upriver just from our site and you look at some of the, the soft-sided bulkhead and estuaries and the, and the success there. Our plan incorporates along our river walk those same sort of opportunities, right? Making sure we're shoring up where we need to. They don't call it collision bend for nothing. And if you've seen some of those freighters go through, you know why. But certainly as we look at that 3,000 feet, we will incorporate those kinds of natural opportunities critical to bringing back plant life, fish life, marine life to the river. So again, and not or, but that is in our, in our opportunity and our, our engineers are working on that uh, structure as we go forward. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And I'm so happy that so many people are out here to support this great idea. And thank you for all your uh, efforts to bring the subject up again, decade after decade. <laughs> However, same thing. The access is the problem, and we still cannot think outside of any box. For this kind of format, it's good. But if we continue only with this kind of format, how can we break the barriers we have endured for decades to really make a, a, an action which will really change the access of waterfront? You are talking about public input. Is this the only kind of public input we can make? Uh, McCormick, Mr. McCormick, you are here. You know how difficult it is to bring communities together. And I have been one of the community members supporting you. But the thing is, if we only want to wait for politicians and uh, uh, business interests to do the move, then the so-called public inputs are actually mostly neglected. You may have a forum to sh let people show up. But all the decisions have been always made behind doors. This is any project for the city, any project for the county, especially any, any uh, action we need for even the state. So would you please tell us what kind of effort you can collectively make to break this barrier so the real public input can actually be the input? Thank you. Thank you. Really, really important question, and I want to note the assistant director's comments earlier to that point exactly. When we did the initial round of public input, it did not reflect the city, and everyone in the room said that's unacceptable. 
completely unacceptable. So that is why the assistant director, you know, mentioned relaunching public input, not only just in downtown, which by the way, I'm seeing a lot of faces here today that have attended those resident meetings in Old Stone Church and otherwise talking about the riverfront and the lakefront. So thank you for coming out to those. But the city is not only hosting public meetings, and I'll let the assistant director speak more to it, in neighborhoods across the city, regional public meetings, as well as conversations in grocery stores, barbershops, places that w to really go and seek feedback from the community. So I know it is a priority to get a, as diverse array of feedback so that truly when the riverfront and waterfront are done, Clevelanders of all different backgrounds feel ownership over that space. But Assistant Director. Yep, I'll definitely add to that. And as I did mention, we have tried to hit all festivals through, you know, all community meetings throughout the city as a whole, not just what is lakefront facing or adjacent, but even further away into the Harvard, Lee Harvard area, the old Brooklyn, Brooklyn area. We want to make sure that this is truly a Cleveland and a regional feature that everybody can enjoy. Um, and, and I will add that while doing this process, we've kind of encountered another way to do public engagement, and it includes bringing in the well-being. And we understand that people may see some of the projects that we do in Cleveland as trade-offs, and we want to make sure that as they are accepting those trade-offs, that they are also receiving something in return that they feel is fundamental for their well-being, um, for their community growth. So this is another approach to com community and public engagement that we'll be adding moving forward. Um, and it's a, a pilot, so you're hearing it maybe for the first time. Um, something that we want to make sure that as we move forward and reaching out to communities that we are getting, you know, the complete answer from them and not maybe just a yes or a no. And Keisha, where will residents be able to go to find, um, find out about these public engagement meetings? Will they be posted on social media? Is there a newsletter yeah, or anything absolutely. like that? Absolutely. So we do have a website, northcoastconnector.com. Um, so some of you did receive flyers. I have some flyers over there on the table. Um, on that flyer, there is a barcode, a scan, so you can actually um, complete surveys to give us your feedback about the project as well. Thank you. Next question, please. Uh, hi, my question is mainly for Keisha, but could you talk about the possibility of Cuyahoga Valley Scenic Railroad coming downtown? Because I had heard a report that the city was relinquishing its claim to the land that CVSR could have used. So. I'm just uh, wondering if you could clarify that. Yeah, and I'm going to pass that to Bedrock because it's, a, it's coming into, I believe, the, the Bedrock, and it's a part of that, more so part of that project than it is a part of the Lakefront Connector project. Thanks, Keisha. You're welcome. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's public-private partnership at work, folks. It's a great question. It's an important question. Thank you for raising it. Um, you know, again, the, the exploration of the Scenic Valley Railroad coming north has been in place well back into 2001, 2002 timeframes. And as we talk about access, accessibility and mobility, we have to think about it from all aspects, right? Um, we have been engaged with the city, with the county, with uh, NOACA and the great work that Grace Gallucci and her team has done, with Brian Zimmerman. Um, and we are at the table with those public partners working to, to determine what is that viability. We know that um, NOACA, with support from other public partners, and we will be at the table, uh, is undergoing a feasibility study to determine that pathway and the opportunity for the railroad. We are looking for those connections into Tower City Center as well, as that is freight rail that established the tracks coming into the transit hub. So how do we start to think about that connection into Tower City and likewise, how do we ultimately think about that connection into and um, adjacent to our, our master plan process? Um, it has to be a, a, a myriad of different opportunities coupled with feasibility and investment. So we're proud to be at the table. We know how important that is. As many of you know, we just acquired and closed on the acquisition of Sherwin-Williams. Um, so we are now the proud owners of that historic B&L Railroad facility as well. And how do we start to incorporate that back in? So there's a lot of answers to be made. You will have us at the table. We believe it can be complementary. And the more we can start to get rail accessibility, public transit, RTA, potentially the scenic, we need to continue to explore that because that will continue to position Cleveland for growth heading into the next century. Hello. So I am just wondering if 
this group has looked into the plan that the city of Euclid has done with their lakefront development. Never in my born age, I thought 20 years it took. Um, and I'm a city resident there, and it is phenomenal the access that they have put on a cliff, similar to the cliff of um, you're talking about where Irish Time Bend is, and also incorporating multi, multi race ethnic personalities who live in Euclid along with the housing there, private versus, or private and I should say, lower income housing developments. So I'm wondering if that has been looked into. And just a question, I wanna know if the parking is still gonna be a quarter charge like it has been. I don't mind the change, but I want the same cheap price. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm happy to take that. Um, so it's 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 usually a um, well. Long story short, uh, I think it's a dollar an hour uh, in downtown right now. Um, there's two pieces of legislation. One will give the city more flexibility um, to do dynamic parking, so that could go up depending on what's going on. But the goal is to keep you know folks easy to get downtown. That is the driving goal: easy to get downtown and to park downtown. Uh, second is Allison here, by the way from GCP. So to your question, um, the, the, the individual who spearheaded the work in Euclid Allison is not, yes, I don't know if she's here or not, but she she's on the team oh, with the city of Cleveland. She's, not, okay. she's with Greater Cleveland Partnership. Yeah, I know, we lost her. Today. I know, she's awesome. She's really a rock star. So the short answer is absolutely, and, and GCP actually hired the person that did it. Okay. So yes. Okay. I would suggest if you haven't seen Lakefront Access to go to the city of Euclid and check it out. Yeah. And I'll just say, I, I grew up on 185th off of Lakeshore Boulevard in North Collinwood, so very familiar with uh, what Euclid's done. Hi, good afternoon. My, my, my name is Michael Reshka. I'm one of the sales... You could get a little closer. Sorry. Thank you. I'm one of the sales managers for the Intercontinental Hotel here in Cleveland. And we have a lot of developments going on with the hotels, new hotels being built. We have the Renaissance here being renovated and such. It seems like the city is expecting more and more tourists to be arriving, and I love the development plans and uh, fulfilling the potential of the city. But what's the focus here on attracting more tourists, um, making it a staple, uh, a staple tourist destination with the increase of hotel rooms and uh, tourist attractions, also acquiring the talent and keeping it in, in the city? Yeah, thanks. I can I can step up and take that one as the representative of the destination marketing organization. Um, so going into 2019, uh, we topped 19 million visitors to Greater Cleveland, and the goal had always been 20 million by 2020. Of course, we know what happened in 2020. No one was traveling, um, but I will say that uh, all of the trends that we've seen coming out of COVID have Cleveland outpacing many of its competitors. Um, I think that the work that, that my team, my colleagues at Destination Cleveland is, have been doing is great. Greater Cleveland Sports Commission bringing big events to town. Um, and we've got a great opportunity next summer in 2024 um, with essentially the meeting of meeting planners. Um, so we're, we're doing hard work every day to get ready for 2024 and help our sales team make those sales for out into the future they're already selling into the 2030s, which is crazy to me, but I'm also used to long-range planning, so it's, uh, it's good stuff. Hey, thank you. Thanks for being here and for sharing all of that. Um, I heard so many amazing things. Uh, you guys, uh, you know, two things that stuck with me was continuing the public engagement uh, process for the North Coast, North Coast Connector to make it a more equitable. And then another thing, um, the second theme was about actually the necessities as amenities. Um, so um, there's one thing bringing attractive design elements to the city and make it, a, make it accessible from a more transient approach, which kind of downtown has been like that uh, historically. But what strategies are you implementing in the new development where we're creating a city that's affordable to less fortunate Cleveland residents and create a more diverse and equitable place that we can sustain that growth and be less of a transient city? Yeah, sure. So good to see you. Thanks for coming out. Um, another one of our downtown resident leaders. So good to see you. Uh, just, I, I would say that a couple things. Number one, 
you know, rent is, is key, you know, um, and I'm really proud of the work in the Centennial and other buildings that are going to add hundreds of new affordable housing units to the city. I think another form of that, too, is looking at the type of apartment that we build and condo that you build. Um, but also, what we don't talk about a lot that's critical, it costs over $9,000 a year to own and operate a vehicle. So building a city that's easier and safer and more intuitive to get around without a vehicle helps to defer those types of costs that people incur. Um, so I think those are two things I would note. Um, number one, targeting and, and really supporting. The city has put a ton into investing in those affordable housing developments in downtown Cleveland. But also, if you think about it, downtown is one of the best places in, in Northeast Ohio to not have a car or to have a shared car or limited, you know, really to cut back on that vehicular use, which again, can really reduce your, your cost burden on a monthly basis as an individual. So I think really investing in that multimodal is another way of affordability too, in addition to the housing. But I don't know if I think those are great points and, and a fabulous question, right? So it is about creating that mixed-use, inclusive housing opportunity for all. It's also about driving the right amenities that, you know, when you look at workforce, um, it's not it's talent attraction of all type and it's, it's accessibility, as the councilman said, whether you're the individual on the bike who's riding in from North Collinwood or Huff or Buckeye Shaker or West Park, you have to be able to think about how do I start that ability to get gainful employment, whether you're the student worker, whether you're just entering into a skilled trade apprenticeship, and how do you leverage investments to drive that opportunity? Um, then the impact. Uh, we are thrilled that with success moving forward, this will be the largest transit-oriented development in the state of Ohio, one of the largest on the Great Lakes. But it's more than that. It's the community impact, not only into downtown, but to the surrounding neighborhoods and how do we drive that success to make sure that we're being inclusive of folks who call Cleveland home today and want to call Cleveland home in the future with opportunities to start that vision and start that dream through either affordable uh, rental opportunities to affordable home ownership opportunities. Uh, one thing we're excited about, and I worked on this when I was at GCP, sorry I was the one who hired Allison away from Euclid, but that was a prior life, um, but it's also downtown. We have great units. We need more for sale units, and we need to start to establish those for sale opportunities in the downtown neighborhood as, as much as we have to accelerate in all of our neighborhoods uh, across the Cleveland City proper. I think we have time for one more. Yes, so this is a text question. Um, what is the most radical idea each of you have had in this vein, and what's the most radical thing that you can think can't to accomplish? Sorry, we can't, we can't hear you. Is now better? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes, it is. Uh, the question is, what's the most radical idea each of you have in this vein, and what's the most radical thing you think you can accomplish within your time here? The most radical thing you've thought about on doing this work, and the most radical thing you think you can actually accomplish in this work? I've started the last couple. <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer that in a, in a, I'll answer that in a little more general way, and I think that right now we've got some really exciting opportunities in Cleveland that change the geography and the geometry of the city. So doing something that changes the map is really bold. And we can pick around the edges and we can, we can decorate and we can activate and we do all those things. But things that are proposed, like the land bridge, things that are proposed, like really changing the way Huron Avenue works, those are bold moves because they change the geography of the city. And that is uh, inspiring to me. I think that it's a great opportunity uh, for this you know, generation of leadership. And uh, I'm excited to see where those kinds of things take us. I would say for me, the radical idea is just getting our Cleveland constituents to believe in the work. So I go to many of our ward meetings and many events and people are kind of doubtful that this will happen. We've, they've seen it before. Oh, we've talked about building a bridge. This is probably the eighth or tenth reiteration of a bridge happening. Um, so my, my radical idea is to make it happen so people will see that Cleveland is truly invested in the work 
and, and making it come to fruition um, because overall we, we want to see it happen. You know, everybody has been envisioning being able to have this access to the lake from downtown. Um, so you want to consider that radical. I think maybe it is changing some mindsets about um, how we do our work here for the city of Cleveland. So I don't know that I have like a, I don't know that I have like a headline breaking comment to this. I would say two things. Uh, number one, and, and I'm appreciative of the mayor amending the airport master plan to study this because you've got to study it. We need to close Berkeley for an airport. It is, a, it is, you own it, you own it, and it is reserved for private jets in flight school. That's immoral. So number one, it's public land that is barbed wire fence, more land than Cedar Point on our lakefront that could connect not only downtown, but St. Clair Superior and other neighborhoods to the waterfront. So that needs to happen. And um, again, this is, let me just say one thing. In the mayoral election, this is why voting matters. I think Bibb was one of the, one of the and I'm, this is not a campaign thing, this is just what it is, was one of the only candidates to say, yeah, we, we should need to do this or we need to look at it. So think about when you're engaging, these are the questions you should be asking people running for office. So number one, we need to do that. Number two, and I'm excited to watch everyone's face when I say this, Cleveland needs to set itself up for growth. We are so used to population decline, but I fundamentally believe if you watched 10 minutes of the news over the past you know, few weeks and before that, not to say Cleveland won't be impacted by climate change, we absolutely will, but I honestly believe that the Great Lakes region will be a climate haven. So we have got to set our city up. It's hard for us to think about this because we're so used to loss, but we have to set Cleveland up for growth over the next one, five, 10, 20 years. And that's something that we need to add into our dialogue and planning now. So I guess I'll, I'll wrap this up with my colleagues. I, the word radical is, I had to really start thinking about my whole career, and then there's just some things I'll leave back there. But um, I think Alex said it well. It's the bold moves, the, the, the infrastructure moves, the connectivity, um, not being afraid to analyze and collect the data for change, right? You get the input, you look at the data, you do all the, the work and the assessment to make sure it can work but bold moves that change the way for us, how we access, how we, ac how we access the riverfront, how we leverage the asset that is Tower City Center, how we think about creation of 12 acres plus public space on a riverfront that complements publicly owned facilities, right? We as a private owner, we, we, we can't hesitate to have public access. That's what will drive change that's what keep reinvigorating our waterfronts our waterfronts shore to core to shore as we transform this downtown but as we transform it in a way that affects not just cleveland and cuyahoga county we're talking about the heart center of this entire region so our growth dictates the other 18 counties we have to make sure we stay aligned collaborative um, critical of each other it's okay to disagree but the end game doesn't change and that goal and objective is the same whether we're not for profit, private, or public. So staying aligned with that is, is crucial to ongoing success for this community. Thank you. And thank you for your questions as well. Thank you to Keisha, Alex, Deb, and Carrie for joining us at the City Club today. City Club in Public Square is presented with support from Thompson Hine and Downtown Cleveland with additional support from citizens. Today's forum is also part of City Club in the Community, sponsored by Bank of America. The City Club is grateful for the continued support of our partners. This Friday, July 14th, Cleveland Foundation CEO Ron Richard will join the City Club ahead of his retirement for a discussion about his tenure leading the community organization. And then on Tuesday, July 18th, we'll be back here in Public Square for our final City Club and Public Square Forum, which will focus on public art and the public realm of downtown. You can learn about these forums and others at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you once again to our panelists, and thank you members and friends of the City Club. I'm Zaria Johnson, and this forum is now adjourned. Okay, can we a round of applause for Zaria, awesome moderator.